0: The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel. I'm the host for the podcast, and my husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer of the podcast and co-founder. We've been podcasting for almost seven full years. Every week, we put up a new episode, generally at 6 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday evenings. And our whole purpose is is to let people who are suffering from addiction or who have loved ones who are suffering from addiction, let them know that there is help available and that there is hope because people do come out the other end of addiction. It's not an easy trip but it can be done. Today's episode is episode number 341. And just a reminder to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so that people, when they Google help for addiction, will find our podcast. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and give us a thumbs up on our videos. Once again, so that when people are looking for help with addiction, they will find the podcast. Today's episode is an interview with a lady who's from Australia. Her name is Lisa Gregory. She lives in Brisbane, Australia. She is a mom and a stepmom, and she has battled with drug and alcohol addiction. She has been sober since February 2022. And let's find out more about her story. Lisa Gregory. From way down under, middle of the night. Thank you for being willing not only to talk to me at three thirty in the morning your time, but you know, really willing to share your story. Because obviously, the story of someone's addiction is not necessarily their favorite part of their life. But anyway, thank you for being willing to talk to us. Thank you for having me, Johnny. Absolutely, very nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, 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 don't be nervous. I am so not like one of those, when did you stop eating your children? I don't, I don't do that kind of thing. <laughs> Lisa, you tell, tell, tell our listeners just a little bit about what your life was like when you were growing up, um, as a child, where you lived and what it was like. Um,
1: okay. So I grew up in a place, a small place in the blue mountains called Winmalee. Um, I had, uh, you know, the big house, the mom, the dad, the, I had my sister, um, so there was four of us. Um, I was a single child for the first eight years of my life. I was always into sports and very active, and we lived quite a, quite a, I had a, quite a privileged childhood. Um, we did a lot of travelling. Um, my parents both had very good jobs. Um, you know, we had quite a tight family unit. We used to spend a lot of time with my grandparents at their, you know, every Sunday night for a roast at their house and, um, you know, those sorts of things. So I had quite the normal upbringing, um, whatever normal might be. Um, but in my eyes, you know, when I was growing up, that was the normal the, the, the normal for me. Um and, yeah, as I say, I was a single child for eight years, and then my sister came along. Okay. Um,
0: yeah. Okay. And um, so how old were you when you started dabbling with drugs or alcohol and, and what got you started down that road?
1: Yeah, okay. So I'm a very big believer now that I've had a lot of time to self-reflect on my journey that I was born addicted. Um, you know, I look back on a lot of behaviours from when I was younger. Um, and I'm not a, a person that remembers a lot about my ch- childhood behaviours, but I do remember a lot about my teenage year behaviours. Um, and I think it started for me uh, around the age of 16. Um, I was introduced to the world of what we call over here passion pop and, um, you know, it was very easily accessible at 16. What is it? What is
0: passion pop? What is that?
1: <laughs> it's just like a really cheap bottle of wine. Um, oh. and back in those days, you could get it for $2, you know, or $2.50. So when you were 16 and you didn't really have access to, to funds, um, you know, it was one of those things that, that was easy to get hold of. Um, and I remember the first time that, I had Passion Pop and I had this overwhelming feeling of calm within me. Um I felt like I belonged when I took that first drink of Passion Pop, you know, um, and from the very first time that I took a drink, I drank the whole bottle you know, my friend and I bought it to share it. I drank the whole bottle and it did affect me and I was drunk, but I wasn't drunk to the point of having just been take home to my parents because I was throwing up and passing out and doing silly things. Um, so, you know, I think from the very beginning of my addiction and alcoholism journey, um, because, you know, alcoholism, is the base foundation of my, my addiction. Um, you know, as I said, there's other stuff involved, but the, it, it always came back to the alcohol for me. Um, yeah. So I just felt that, that overwhelming sense of, I belong, you know, um, and just to,
0: just, sorry to cut you off, but just out of curiosity, okay. do you recall like before then feeling like you didn't belong
1: yeah, I always felt at school, like through my high school years and probably even when I self-reflect through my primary school years that um, you know, I wasn't pretty enough, I wasn't funny enough, I wasn't mm-hmm. um, you know, the one that all the boys like, the one that people wanted to hang out with, you know. And that continued through my high school years. Um, you know, I never felt like I was the in with the in crowd. Um, okay. I never felt like the, the popular girl. Um, and I think as a teenager growing up, Back then, you know, there's so much more education around it now, which I think is fantastic. But back then, that was what we were thought to be was the thing to do. You know, you wanted to be with the in crowd. You wanted to be the one the boys liked. You wanted to be the one that had the most friends. Um, Yeah, so that was a huge part of my addiction journey. Starting off was because I just had this sense of I didn't fit in. Um, Mm. You know, another and I didn't realise it again at the time, um, and I think a lot, of, a lot of, a big part of my addiction journey is, you know, you have a lot of time to self reflect on your journey, and to see where you've come from, and what made these foundations for you to be the person that was going to go through this addiction journey, and one of the big things for me was abandonment, um, and it was feeling a sense of abandonment over different periods of, of time, and, you know, I had things happen in my life that I didn't realize that's what it was until I sat down with other people and I listened to other people's stories and their journeys. And I thought, oh, that's what happened to me, you know. Um, I, I do believe, as I say, that I was born with the disease of addiction. So I, I, I think that the things that happened to me over time contributed and fueled the fire for me, mm. um, you know, and made it um, so much worse for someone like me to pick up a drink or a drug because it made everything feel so much better at those times. Um, Got it and gave me that sense of, sense of I'm okay. I'm going to be okay right. until you're not okay.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so how old were you when you started drinking? How old was that? It was around the age of
1: 16. Okay. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah it look it may have been a little bit earlier as i say it's you know when you're looking back 28 years you kind of go oh what, what when was it but um yeah it around the age of 16 because i was i like quite an athletic kid so i was never really interested in that side of life mm. until i found it right until i found it yeah right
0: and then did did the alcohol did that then progress to other drugs
1: Yes, absolutely. So um, probably around that, that same age, I was introduced to marijuana and it was an all or nothing for me. You know, I would I try marijuana. I loved the feeling it gave me. Um, you know, my brain was always so, so busy. So anything I could find that would calm my brain down, that would stop, um, you know, it, the race in my head, the constant race in my head all the time, um, was like a aha for me. I found it, you know. Um, so, yeah, I started off smoking marijuana and I then, around the age of 17, met a boyfriend and his mother was a marijuana drug dealer. So, you know, I'd found I was set, you know. Yeah. I had this amazing, what I thought at the time was an amazing life. You know, I've got it basically on tap it's here for me whenever i want it um you know the drinking was still going on in the background you know so i was drinking and i was smoking and it didn't take long for that to turn into um a
0: daily thing for me sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment bobby newman a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast. For a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one hour consultation with Bobby. We appreciate you listening to the addiction podcast Point of No Return. We don't do this podcast because we are former addicts. We don't do this podcast because we have loved ones who have suffered from addiction. We do this podcast because we feel that addiction is one of the biggest problems facing the world today, and that no matter who you are, no matter your religion, no matter your income status, no matter your race, no matter anything about you, addiction affects you. This podcast is a free resource for anybody looking for help with addiction. If you would like to contribute to our podcast, please go to bit.ly slash fight drugs. That's H-T-T-P-S colon slash slash B-I-T dot L-Y slash fight drugs and make a donation of whatever amount you would like. Thank you for supporting us.
1: Um, I will just say that over pretty much all of my journey, I've always worked you know? Um, So that was a justifiable thing for me, you know, oh, but I can still go to work. I've always trained. I've always kept pretty fit to what I thought I was doing good for myself.
0: Um, I think we call that a functioning addict, right? I mean, you could function. So there you go. So it can't be that bad, right? (laughs) Exactly.
1: Exactly. So I would say to myself, but I'm still doing this, you know, I'm still able to function. So I can't, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm okay. And that continued over 28 years of addiction, you know, but I still can, but I still can, you know, until you can't, you just physically, mentally cannot um, function any longer. Um, to, you said, did your parents
0: yeah. and your family know that this was going on? Um, look, I think my
1: parents definitely knew there was something going on to the extent of it I don't think they knew um, but then you know we've they've never really said to me that they knew how bad things were in relation mm. to my drug and alcohol. Um, addiction obviously over time they saw it get worse in waves um, it, it would get better and then it would get worse and then it would get better and then it would get worse. Um, when I was 18 my family separated um, so my dad left. Mm-hmm. and um you know that was huge for me absolutely huge in in the in the scheme of things um as i said at the beginning of the interview i had a very very solid family unit so when my dad left it it felt like my whole world fell, fell apart mm-hmm. and things got really really dark for me um You know, I have made peace with all of that now in my journey and I don't blame that situation for what happened. But when I was in the moment, it was the end of the world for me. You know, I was very, very close to my dad um, and, you know, my dad was gone and my Mm. mum didn't know why. I had a 10-year-old sister um, and, you know, all of this stuff's happened around me. My world's imploded. Um, so what do I do? I'm looking for something that's going to make me feel better, that's going to help me cope with life on a daily basis, um, to be able to help mum, to look after mum, to look after my sister, you know, so um, that was a huge life event for me, and it took me a very, very, very long time, um, probably only in the last 18 months because I do have uh, 17 and a half months of sobriety. So my sobriety date is the 14th of February, 2022. Um, and, you know, I've only made peace with that in the last 18 months. So it did take me a long time to to understand and accept why these things happen. Because, you know, when you're growing up as a child, you've got no idea. You, you blame yourself. Yep. You know, I thought it yep. was me. I thought it was my fault, you know. Um my dad left because I wasn't good enough, you know? So again,
0: you must've done something. Yeah, I get that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And when I, when I start to get educated on this, this horrible disease, it's, you know, the, the sense of abandonment comes up again.
0: You are listening to the addiction podcast point of no return for more information on the podcast or to reach out. If you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name Or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review.
1: You know, so these these little pockets of abandonment that happen over the years, um, they start to grow bigger. You know, when they grow bigger, what do I do about it? I
0: squash them down
1: Mm -hmm. with
0: alcohol, with drugs.
1: Um, so when
0: he, when he left, did your drug use escalate and did you go to been, other drugs or did you pretty much just stick with marijuana and alcohol? No.
1: So, um, I was introduced to the world of speed at around 18. Um, and I, <laughs> I don't know, it, it actually thinking about it when i go back it's it terrifies me now which is such a nice feeling to have um because at the time it was you know it was again another depth of i feel alive you know i was introduced to speed i was introduced to it in um in oh, i don't even know how to put it and i like you know this people going to be listening to my podcast that are going to be <laughs> I don't want to upset anyone if that would you know what I mean like family members and stuff. Um but my introduction to speed was um it was daily from the get go. You know it was daily. Um I was using pretty much all the time. You know whenever I could get ha- my hands on it, I would um do whatever I could to go and get it. I would steal from people to go and 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 be able to get hold of the drugs. Another reason I would steal from people to go and get the drugs is so that my peers thought, oh, let's hang out with Lisa because she's always got stuff. She's always got money. She's always the one that we can go to and have fun with, you know. So, again, I have this sense of everyone wants me to be a part of their life, you know. Mm. I feel included, um, you know. And, again, that is another thing that I still to this day have to make peace with you know because being part of being an addict is being a people pleaser you know Mm. so a lot of the things I do I do it to please others um yeah so that's been another huge part of my journey but I was introduced to speed and then I was introduced to ecstasy as well um the ecstasy part of my journey didn't last very long and the reason for that being is there's a period of of time when you have an ecstasy tablet where you lose complete control you have no idea what's going on I didn't like that Yeah, So I was was M slash working on it, still a control freak. And I didn't like that period of not being in control because it wasn't happening Lisa's way. It was happening the drug's way. Um, So I kind of tried to find things that, um, you know, I could stay in control with but not feel any feelings at the same time, if that makes sense. It does. yeah. Um, Yeah. And, you know, when you take speed, you can drink more because it doesn't affect you as much, you know, so you can drink alcohol and you can be on speed and everything feels okay. You're not getting to that point of blackout drunk because you can just keep drinking, you know, um,
0: and. That's right. Cause I alcohol's it. Is a depressant. So if you take, so you're kind mm-hmm. of mixing uh, an upper with a downer, so to speak, so you can just kind of even it out. I get it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I and. You know, I would have all these people around me that there's only one of those people now in my life that I speak to, I still maintain contact with, which is another amazing thing because, you know, when you're in addiction, when you're deep in addiction, you think you have so many people that love you. Um, And some of those people may still love me, but they're just not meant to be in my life now. Um, And, you know, I think back and there's so many times that I was alone. I was so alone. You know, within myself, I was so lonely. I was so lost. I would drive around the streets at nighttime looking for friends off my face, you know, with my, my four pack of, of bourbons on the, on the passenger seat, high as a kite, you know, or who wants to come and hang out with me? I've got drinks in the car. Um, you know, and that's the, that's the, some of the, you know, small places that my early addiction, early addiction took me to. Um, thankfully and someone watching over me, I didn't, stay in the speed and um ecstasy world for very long speed took me to places pretty damn quickly that were not nice um you know I wasn't I wasn't a very healthy person Mm. um again still maintaining a job still maintaining a family life but um you know I always say when I talk about my my journey to people is that from the outside looking in I always looked okay but from the inside going out, I was breaking down. You know, m- my life was was falling down around me. And, you know, there's so many early signs for me that um, this wasn't going to end well. But, you know, at that at that time when you're 18, 19, 20, you don't really know where to go or, mm. or who to turn to. Um, you know, very grateful now that the... the podcasts like this are out there and that um, there's so much more education around this stuff for our younger generations coming through because there just wasn't when I was growing up. I was never educated in alcohol, in drugs, in addiction, that there is diseases out there, that, you know, there are people like myself who I honestly believe that I cannot pick up one of anything, Mm. you know, and that comes down to a bar of chocolate. If I go buy a bar of chocolate, I know I'm going to eat the whole thing (laughs) because I'm 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 an addict, you know. Um, Yeah, so that kind of continued, you know, the the speed world for me was only a couple of years back then, um, which I was, when I look back on, was very grateful for. But the alcohol, it continued on. And the marijuana as well? Yeah, the marijuana was uh, probably about five or six years um and you know it was daily it was a daily thing i couldn't go without it um and yeah so that takes me up to um you know i'll just go back and um a little bit there i fell pregnant when i was 18 and you know it was a case of well i was told well you there's no way you can have a baby at 18 you know so i ended up having a termination Um, and, you know, I still think about that a lot to this day, but, you know, I'm I'm a really big believer in my journey that everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, as you saw in my, in my bio, I do now have a 19 year old son, but he was my fifth pregnancy because I was so, uh, loose and wild on the alcohol and the drugs that I never took any care for myself. I had no self-respect, you know, um, and yeah, it's just another part of my journey that I look back on and think, if only I had have known about all the, you know, sex education. I never took the yeah. time to listen to that because I was too busy worrying about when am I going to my next party? When am yeah. I going to be the drunkest? Yeah. How can I get high? When am I going to yeah. be the when at that party? Can I be the last person standing? Can I be the person that everyone's going to talk about that goes, "Oh, did you see um how many drinks Lisa had?" You know, far out she can drink a lot or, you know, things along those lines that just meant so much to me in those early years
0: of my addiction. Yeah. So you so you did you have four terminations? Is that what occurred with the earlier pregnancies?
1: I had uh, three miscarriages and oh, a termination.
0: Okay. okay. Yeah, so the, the miscarriages were quite late on and
1: yeah, the termination and then I okay. had my son.
0: And then when you had your son, were you still using alcohol on a regular basis? Okay. So um,
1: I fell pregnant with my son when I was 24. Um, I was in a relationship with his father only for a couple of years. um, And he is unfortunately um, a bit of a drinker as well. Uh, I don't like to say that, you know, he's an alcoholic because everyone has to make that decision for themselves. Right. Um, So look, you know, basically what I'm saying is we got on it together you know wow I've found another whole new world I'm completely in love with this man we've got so much in common we drank together (laughs) you know that was what we had in common um you know we really and I didn't know I didn't understand the concept of meeting anyone that didn't have an interest in alcohol because that was my world right um so you know we met um You know, I remember the first night that I drove to, he'd actually moved up to Queensland. Um, I was still living in New South Wales at this time. He'd actually moved up to Queensland and I drove from the pub about two and a half hours on the first leg of the trip and I don't remember any of it because I was blind rotten drunk. Um, you know, and I remember going home and saying to my mum, I'm in love with this man, I need to be with him. And I remember my mum begging me at the front door, she was standing there crying, begging me not to get in the car, Lisa. I can't lose you, you're going to die if you drive, get in this car. Um, and I then one part of the trip I remember is I was talking to my dad and my dad was trying to um, encourage me to pull over and, you know, just rest until you're okay in the morning. Um, and I remember seeing sirens behind me and I hung up the phone and the sirens went straight past me. They mm. weren't chasing me. Um, and as I say, I got two and a half hours into that trip. I passed out at the wheel. Um, like I'd pulled over, thankfully, again, another Someone is watching over me moment um, because there's been a lot of those throughout my career, as I call it. Um, But I woke up and I had no idea where I was Mm. and and no idea how I got there. Um, You know, and that to me was a, oh, my God, Lisa, you probably need to slow down. Not Mm. you need to stop. Not stop, yeah. No, let's not have a big night for another few days you know, let's get yourself feeling better and get to Queensland to where you need to be. And obviously that happened the next day and lo and behold, you know, that's that's where, you know, my I my my drinking continued. Um and, you know, I then fell pregnant and I was drinking for probably the first four months of my pregnancy with my son. I wasn't drinking heavily because I was I've been in the health, I've been in the fitness industry since I was 16. Right. So I was, I had some awareness of what, what was right and what was wrong. Um I then at about four months into my pregnancy started developing a rash on my body. And I went to the doctors and he said, hey, do you drink alcohol? And I said, yeah, I have been. And he said, um, you know, the liver, your liver is reacting with your pregnancy and that's what's causing the rash. Mm-hmm. So I didn't drink for the last five months of my pregnancy. So, you know. Again, for me, that was another, oh, you didn't drink for five months, so you must be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, all these little pockets.
0: You don't have a problem. For
1: me. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, um, the addict part of my brain justifying that it's okay. If you can stop for five months, you don't have a problem. Um, yeah, so then my beautiful son was born, who is the light of my life, um, and... Look, I didn't drink very much in early, early mothering because I was conscious of him. I was breastfeeding. Um, I would actually even get to the point where you know I would have a couple of beers, feed him straight away. Like I, I was ring the breastfeeding association and ask for them, adv- ask them for advice on when am I able to drink so that I can breastfeed my son and not harm him. You know. Again to me, when I look back, should have been another light bulb moment. Do you really need to be asking these questions if you don't have a problem? Right. <laughs> um yeah, so yeah. And then uh when my son was 13 months old, I left his dad. And that put me on the journey of being a single mum for the next twelve years. So I was just myself and my son Tyrone until he was twelve so or nearly 13 um and you know again i'm a single mom i'm lonely i want to go out and meet people i feel like i want to you know start meeting other people and not necessarily getting in a relationship because he was my number one priority and he was um you know he was my world um but just going out and meeting people and, and feeling included and, and wanting to be part of what everyone else was doing. And how do I do that? I don't know how to socialise without being high or being drunk or um, drugs weren't a part of my story when I was a single mother um, for the reason that I was a single mother. You know, I was like, I'm not, I'm not touching that. And if I only have alcohol, then I must be okay. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and there's several different incidences over my single mothering period that I look back on and think far out I'm very very lucky that you know um, nothing bad happened to him there's a lot of things he saw a lot of things he heard a lot of um, stuff that he witnessed his mum doing that sorry
0: it's okay I understand that, that he shouldn't he shouldn't have um have you talked to him about it
1: yeah, we have a very, we're best, best friends, absolute best friends. He is beside me on my journey every single day. Um, but you know, I remember waking up one morning and going out the back of my house and we had a little pond and he was only about two, two and a half and he was on the edge of the pond. Mm. And I, I, like, I caught him. I, you know, I, I stopped him from, from going in the pond. You know, um, it terrifies me, absolutely terrifies me. Um, there's another time where he'd got inside a pool gate and I was laying in bed because I had a hangover. Um, you know, because I couldn't physically get myself out of bed. Um, again, another, uh, God saving moment for me, you know, that, Someone was watching over me to keep to keep him in my life. Um, there's you know this, there's quite a few different times I can I can remember, but um there was one time that I I don't even know how I got home, but he found me slumped over my steering wheel in my car in the driveway and thought I was dead.
0: And how old was he?
1: Ah uh, he would have been probably eight or nine. Oh boy. I was living with my mum at that time. Um, That's another one of the times my mum said to me, I think you need to get some help. Um, She didn't know what help. We didn't know what help was needed at that time. Um, But she said, you know, you've got this little boy who was just terrified that he'd lost his mum. Um, Yeah. That wasn't enough for me to stop. Mm. It wasn't enough for me to stop. I'd have a break. I'd feel sorry for myself. Poor me. You know, there's, there's the saying, poor me, poor me, poor me another drink. I hate that saying, but it's so damn true.
0: Right.
1: You know, we get stuck in these such moments of self-pity and self-hatred, and the only way I knew how to fix it was to have another drink, you know, because I had no solutions. I had no way of anyone being able to help me fix the problem you know and the only person that was going to be able to help me fix the problem was me <laughs>
0: right
1: um yeah so you know as i say he's um he's been on the journey with me from the very very beginning um and yeah so we got to i then uh When he was 12, nearly 13, I met my current partner, um, who's now my fiancé, and um, he is, hey, look, he likes to have a beer, but if he doesn't have to have one, he won't have one. I've never, ever understood that in people. (laughs) I used to, you know, I used to watch people drink, and and this would be the same for me. Every time I went out would be, how do those people just have a couple of drinks and then go home? Yep. You know, that to me was absolutely mind-boggling, you know. I would have to have the most that I could get at that time. I would have to have six before I got to the event, you know, or before I got to the family function. I would have to make sure I had enough with me to get to that point, <laughs> point of no return, <laughs> Um, you know. And then on the way home, I would have to get more, to make sure that I went to bed numb. Um, you know, and initially what when I when I got with my partner, um, I've I will just say I have had stints of sobriety. So I've had this is my third long term stint of sobriety. My first one was a fitness related stint of sobriety. Um, so I had some really good fitness goals, so I stopped for a year. Um, but you know, I had no way of staying stopped. Right. I had no practices in place. i had no strategies. I had no, um, you know, guidance um, to stay in place. Got with my partner and obviously when it's a new found relationship, you enjoy having a drink together. And, you know, um, we had some great times. We had some really great times. But, again, another person in my life that would say to me, Lisa, why can't you just stop? Right. Why do you have to keep going? Why do you always have to have one more? You know, why do you have to drink all my drinks that are in the fridge when you've already drank all of your own? Um, oh, I don't know, because I just love it, because that's just me. You know, that's just, just you've just got to accept me for who I am and, and what I do. Um, fast forward and, you know, um, you say at the beginning of the interview that what was your point of no return? There were so many for me until there was one final one. Um, my partner and I would, um, you know, there were times when he had said to me, look, I don't know what to do. You know, I would be in a shower on the floor crying my eyes out, someone please help me. I cannot do this anymore. You know, um, I-, I need help. I need help. And the help's out there. If you want the help, the help is out there, but you've got to want to go and find it. Yep. You know, and now I look back, I realize that. I realize that the help was there. I just wasn't ready. I wasn't willing to go out there and go, somebody please help me. Somebody educate me onto what it is that's going on with me so that I can fix this. You know? Um I and he would we would get to to points in our relationship where he would just say, I don't, I don't know what to do anymore like i don't know how to help you i want to help you um but i just don't know how to help you you know um there was a there was an incident on we used to go away camping a lot um and we went away over like a mother's day weekend and we were coming home and there was three drinks left in the esky and we'd had a huge weekend i had been drinking nonstop, and i thought well why leave the three drinks in the esky you know, so I had the three drinks in the eski on the drive home and then convinced him that we needed to go to the pub for lunch before we got home to the kids. And so we went to the pub, we had more to drink, um, he drove. We used to always argue about who would drive Um, and, you know, that was always an issue. Um, I did lose my licence once over... um high range drink driving that's another thing that happened when I was a single mother it's over 10 years ago now but it is part of my story um and just to backtrack a little bit sorry Mm. when I lost my license for drink driving my so I was at a friend's house we left to go back to my house to get more drinks because I needed more drinks so I left my son there on the lounge with my friends I got pulled over in in that time Um, and got taken back to the police station. My son was still at my friend's asleep on the lounge. He had no idea. The local newspaper published that I had my son in the car.
0: They published my
1: name. They published my name. They published my address. They published that I had my um, maybe seven or eight-year-old son in the car. It was a quarter-page publication. That was not enough to make me stop.
0: Mm.
1: That was not enough to make me stop. It, again, was... They are attacking me. Right. Why are they picking on me, you know? So the next thing I do is I go out and have a drink. <laughs> you know, it's it's so cunning. It's just so baffling how the disease of addiction affects our brains. Yep. It is so, you know, uh, I, I, I just don't even have the explanation for how uh, how passionate I am that if you think you've got a problem, if you think you need help, the help is there. Yeah. You know, don't wait, don't wait to get the help. You know, if you're one of the biggest signs for me should have been I was googling, <laughs> do I have a drinking problem? You know, if I'm asking those questions of someone else,
0: chances are, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: it, yeah, no, I could probably be. do have a problem. Um, so
0: what was that last point then? When you got clean right before February fourteenth, twenty twenty
1: two. What a brilliant date! Um, Valentine's so Day became, is
0: it Valentine's Day in Australia? Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. All right. Yes. Fair enough. <laughs> um, drugs became part of my story again, um,
1: and not again, not for very long. But they were they they came back in. Um, I. Was offered some, and I thought, "Oh, look, a little bit can't hurt me." You know, I haven't had it for for such a long time. Was it speed again? Cocaine. Cocaine. Okay. okay. Um, I haven't had it for such a long time that it it can't hurt me. You know, within a month, I was back to using all the time. Hmm. Um, you know, it's. Hard for me to speak about out loud because I do, I did keep that part of my story very, very quiet from everyone, everyone in my life
0: except my partner. Um, now he had it, children it, too, though, right? Because in your bio, it said you're a mom, but you're also a stepmom.
1: Yes. He has five
0: boys. Okay. Did they yeah. live with you at the time?
1: Yes. So, um, we actually have, so three of them are older. And they'd spread their wings, but we have his 13 year old twin boys okay. that live with us. And we actually had custody of them because unfortunately they lost their mum. Um, and yeah, that was in relation to drugs as well. Um, you know, so the left side of my brain's going, why are you doing this when these children have just lost someone so close to them? The right side of my brain, the addiction side of my brain's going, it won't happen to you. Exactly. It won't happen to you, right. you know. It, 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 why would it happen to me, you know? Yep. Of course it can happen to me. It can <laughs> happen to anybody, you know. I mean, you hear it on here. It happens every single day. It's tragically happening every day. Yep. Um, and I went down the path of destruction very, very, very quickly this time. So I think each time that I've gone – um, you know, had a little bit of clarity in my life. When I've gone back, it's got worse. Mm-hmm. And it's got worse so, so quickly. You know, the tolerance I have to alcohol, to drugs is, you know, it's nothing compared to what it was when I first mm-hmm. started. You mm-hmm. know, I was at the point at the end of my journey where I would have four or five beers and they were like, do you know your mid-strength beers? I would have four or five beers and I would black out. Terrifying to me. You know, so I have a couple of points that I'll just um go over. We have a family camp trip that we do is in memory of my grandfather, um, down the coast, and all my family meet up. Now at this time, my family knew I wasn't drinking um, because I was trying to stay off it. You know, I'd had these these periods of, and it, it got to the point where everyone knew that Lisa had a problem, and it was pretty right. serious. Right. So, I wasn't drinking. If I drank. I hid it from my son. I hid it from my parents. There was times I hid it from my partner or he'd ask me how many I'd have and I'd say one and I'd had five, you know. Meanwhile, hello, Lisa, people aren't stupid. They know exactly what you're doing. But I thought, you know, know, rose-coloured glasses, they've they've got no idea. Um, We went away to a camping trip and everyone around me was drinking. That's not their problem. They're allowed to do that. The problem is mine. Um and I had been drinking 0% Heineken beers, you know, the no alcohol. Um Another part of my story that I really would like to talk about does not work for me. It mm. led me back to normal alcohol so, so quickly and so scarily. <laughs> I was drinking a carton of non-alcoholic beers a day to substitute what I was missing out on, but I wasn't getting the feeling that alcohol gives me. So where's it going to take me? You know, um, I personally wish none of that stuff had ever been invented. But you know, that's that's another whole subject. <laughs>
0: Understood. Um, yeah.
1: So we went. I went away for this family camping trip for the weekend, and I've also, um, you know, had an addiction to nicotine. I was hiding, having a smoke because if my son saw me smoking, he begged me countless times, countless times over my journey to stop drinking and stop smoking. It terrified he couldn't lose his mum. You know, because as I say, we're super close. Um, He'd gone out for a few hours, window of opportunity for Lisa and her addiction. I'm going to go sit down behind the bushes. I'm going to have a cigarette and I'm just going to have one beer. Just one. Lisa can't have one beer.
0: Right, right.
1: Anyone that has an addiction will understand and will know exactly what I'm saying when you say you cannot have one beer. Once I have one beer, something inside of me fires up that's it it's game on so I had another beer my son came back have you been drinking I'm just going to have a couple son it'll be okay he knows it's not going to be okay but what can he say he, What well, anything he says is not going to change it you know and that's when you start to realize that when your son is starting to ask you and your partner is starting to ask you can you just not drink today and you physically cannot not do that that there is a problem right. um I think I had, that afternoon, I had five or six beers. I remember being in the room of the cabin that we booked, crying. I don't know what about. I remember my son standing there and then we woke up the next morning. I'd blacked out, completely blacked out, had to, had to no idea what happened the night before. We got up the next morning We packed up and left because I was so embarrassed. I was so ashamed, you know, all the shame, all the guilt. What have I done? Why have I done this again? You know, for the gazillionth time, I've stuffed up again. Um, my son drove home thankfully, and I was laying down in the back of the car. And he said to me, "Mum, do you think you need to go to rehab?" And I said, "No, son, I'll be okay. I can do this. I can do it on my own." Um, anyway, we got home. Um, that was in the January. Oh, anyway irrelevant. The point of no return for me, my son's friend was playing football down in Canberra um, and we decided to go down and surprise him and watch him and there had been drugs involved and we got down there and we parked in a shopping centre and the football field was here in the shopping centre was a bottle shop. So I went and got some Non-alcoholic beers, but in my handbag I had double strength vodkas. That's where it started for me that day. I um was drinking them on the side because you can't smell vodka, <laughs> so they say. Um but I also had the non-alcoholic beers so that it looked like to everyone else that I was just having those. So I was okay. Anyway. The story goes that we'd made a stuff up with the accommodation booking um, and there was three boys and me staying at accommodation place but I'd only booked a place with one bed. So I said, it's okay, we've got a friend that lives down in Canberra, he's not there, I'm going to go and stay at his place, you guys stay at the accommodation, pick me up in the morning and we'll drive home together. Um, by this time I'd had a couple of drinks so the cravings have kicked in. I got back to the accommodation place where I was staying, my son went off with his mates with a worried look on his face of he knew there was something going wrong. Something something very, very wrong was happening. Um when I got to the accommodation place, I went over for a walk to the shops and I bought myself some drinks. I got back, I hadn't eaten all day. Um I actually I had two wheat bicks that morning to justify my to myself that I had eaten. Um because when I was drinking I didn't eat because to me If you ate, you didn't feel like drinking more. What's the point in eating if you can't keep drinking? Um, I'm sure you've heard that a lot too. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so I got more drinks. I sat at the unit apartment block. I was in heaven. I had nobody around me. I had nobody to answer to. Nobody was going to know what I'd done. I'd pass out and I would be okay to go home the next morning. Came to midnight, came to one o'clock in the morning. I ordered drinks in via an app. you can do on your phone now which is deadly to me Um, and I sat at the back of my friend's apartment on the balcony and it was the second time I've experienced it in my in my um, drinking and drugging um, career as I call it Um, and I just had this complete feeling of hopelessness of not being worthy and of not being able to go on and the you know it was the I don't know seventh floor of an apartment building. And I looked over the edge of the balcony and I thought, the only way out for me is if I jump because I can't do this anymore. I can't do it to my son. I can't do it to my partner. And I don't want to be... You know, I don't want to live in this world anymore. Um, Something stopped that from happening for me. And I called a place who one of my friends had told me about a few months before because I'd opened up to her a little bit about what was going on in my life. And it was called, there was a rehab facilitation centre in Sydney called the Sydney Retreat. Not sure if I'm allowed to say their name on
0: here. No, it's totally okay.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Um, it was called the Sydney retreat and I got in contact with one of the ladies there and she, this was the following morning. So, you know, the alcohol is wearing off and I am coming down very, very hard, very, very hard. I'm very, very scared. I've never, I've had moments in my drinking and drugging where I've been terrified. This one for me, I was, I had no idea what to do. I was alone in this apartment. I was on the phone with my partner. I had called my mum because the rehab facility had cost money. I'd called my dad. So I had reached out to people to let them know the kind of place that I was in. And I got in contact with the rehab and she said, look, Lisa, there's a place here for you. I will get the CEO. This was a Sunday. I'll get the CEO to call you back first thing tomorrow morning. We'll see what we can do for you. Sorry, I'm okay. bored, It's okay. Um, one of the hardest, probably the hardest phone call I've had to make in my life, I called my son and I said, mum, I'm going to rehab. I can't do this anymore. And he said, okay, mum, I love you. And he hung up the phone. Thank God, he was with his mates because he burst into tears and he cried because he was terrified. He was going to lose me. Yep. The beautiful man from the city retreat called me the next day. That was the Monday, and he said to me, "Lisa, do you need to go to detox before you come in here?" And I said, "No, John, I've." really been detoxing for the last 24 hours really hard i had all the shakes all the all the stuff that goes with it thankfully i didn't seizure Um, i didn't even know that that was a possibility that you could seizure coming off alcohol Um, you can die
0: coming off alcohol yeah yeah
1: so i feel very lucky and very blessed that that didn't happen um i got a lift to sydney on the tuesday morning um had a lot of conversations with my partner he was like he you know said to me obviously he supports me 110 percent in whatever I'm going to do I think he was probably a little bit fearful as well of do you need to come home so we could talk about this first and I was like, baby if I come home I'm not going to make it back to the re- rehab centre. <laughs> my dad came and picked me up from Sydney and he dropped me off at rehab and um Yeah, so a little just a little bit of humor to add to that. It was kind of like a happy Valentine's Day, babe. I'm going to rehab. I always think that's so funny when I think of it that way. And yeah,
0: it could have been the best Valentine's Day gift you could have given him. Absolutely. hundred (laughs) percent
1: Yes, it definitely was. Um Yeah, so my dad picked me up. He drove me to the rehab center. Um I've never been so scared in all my life. Um he held my hand when we walked in there. Um, thank God for my beautiful mum who helped me fund the rehab center. Um, he held my hand when I walked in there and I likened it to a day like my first day at kindergarten.
0: Mm. I did not want
1: to let him go. You know, I didn't want to let him go. I didn't know what was about to happen. How was I going to live a life, a normal life without being to, without being able to numb my feelings? You know, I don't know how to feel. I haven't learned how to feel on my life. I haven't learned how to socialize on my life. Yeah. Um, I will add here that I've, until that point, I've always thought I was a good person. I'm a great mother. My son and I did a lot of fun things together, a lot of traveling, a lot of fun stuff together. So it's not all doom and gloom. But when it's doom and gloom, there's no, you know, you don't see a way out. Yeah. Anyway, the, the, uh, the rehabilitation center that I checked into on the the Tuesday, the fourteenth, was based on a twelve step program. Um, and you know, I it was hard. It was very, very hard. The first, I there wasn't any point when I got in there that I wanted to leave, <laughs> because I knew I needed to be there. This was life or death for me. If right. I didn't turn my life around now, I might not be sitting here talking to you on this podcast. That's where my alcohol and drug addiction had taken me. You know, it was go left or go right. Right. And thankfully, I had someone guiding me to take me to the rehab. You know, I put my head down and my ass up in that rehab. I wanted to change. I wanted a better life. I wanted to get to know who I was. I wanted to be able to live life on a daily basis without having to you know, encounter the smallest of problems and not know how to deal with it. Right. You know, that's how I felt like I'd functioned for so, so many years. Um, so I did the 30 days in the rehab and I call it Disneyland for Alcoholics because mm. to me it's the greatest place on earth. It changed my life. Um, I am forever eternally grateful to all of the people in there. I still speak to quite a few people that I was in the rehab centre with. Um, you know, and unfortunately we lost one of our, our rehab guys, you know, when we left, he went back out and um had a drink and it got him.
0: Mm.
1: You know, that can happen to me. Yep. That can happen to me any day. If I pick up a drink tomorrow, it could kill me.
0: Yep. Um
1: thankfully, while I was in the rehab center, not only do they give you a program that helps you live they also educate you on the disease of addiction. Um, you know, so they tell you how addiction works with your brain. Um, they they educate you on that part of it. I had no idea, um, absolutely no idea about it. I had no idea you could be born with it. I had no idea that it could come along later on in life. You know, it could be caused by trauma. They teach you a lot about childhood trauma. Trauma to me was always like, you know, you had to be involved in an accident or Something along those lines, you know. um,
0: Yeah.
1: Trauma can be anything that happens in your childhood that traumatizes you, you know.
0: Like divorce Um, is a big deal.
1: Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So I had a lot of stuff to unpack. You know, I had a lot of 28 years of stuff that had been pushed down that I had to unpack. I had to find my purpose. You know, when I walked in that day, I had no purpose. I had, I was lost. I was so lost. I was so broken. And I had no idea who I was. Yeah. Absolutely no idea who Lisa was, you know. Um, the day I left, I was, my son came and picked me up. You know, we got a phone call a week on a Sunday um, where you could make FaceTime calls and I would speak to my partner, Paul. I would speak to my son um, and I'd speak to a couple of friends, um, you know, and, could not be more blessed with the support that i have you know i now realize and i now understand that i don't need this big circle of people in my life you know i don't need these people to need me right i need the people that i have in my life that want to be there for me that want to support me um yeah so my son came and picked me up on the 30th day 30th or 31st day and you know i was on top of the world mm-hmm. i've got this program now i've learned so much about my journey, where I've come from and where I'm going. But I've got to take it one day at a time because the biggest yep. thing, one of the biggest things for addicts is we look too far into the future, we get so caught up in it and that's where
0: it all starts to unwind. Yep. Um, you have to wake up every morning and say, I'm not going to drink today, I'm not going to use today. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. If I, I can get go to bed that. each day with my head on the – hits the pillow and I'm sober, is a, a miracle. Yeah. Um, you know I got home from rehab and I've changed you know I've I've had this huge life moment where I've changed
0: but guess I'm what sure. nothing else has changed <laughs> nothing else has changed around right. me um what did you decide so, your it, purpose was Lisa what did you decide
1: um my purpose in life look I've as I said earlier I've always been a really compassionate kind loving person but I wasn't doing it with the right I wasn't doing it from the heart because I didn't know what was in there. You know, I didn't know who I was, where I was, and what I was doing. My purpose now is to help other people. Mm. I've always wanted to help other people. As I say, I'm in the fitness industry, so I've always helped people feel good about themselves, you know. But how can you help other people feel good about yourself if you feel good about themselves if you don't feel good about yourself, you know? It's a yep. catch-22, isn't yep. it? It's um, a tough one. Yeah, so now I'm, you know, I'm trying to spread the message by doing things like this, getting on podcasts, telling my story, um, letting people know that there is a way that you can do this if you want to. Um, the biggest thing for me is I've found myself. What a freeing feeling, you know. Yeah. I've actually worked out who Lisa is and what she's here for. And, you know, not only has my journey changed me, it's changed my whole the whole life. Yep. They say to me in rehab, recovery is contagious. And I think how can recovery be contagious if the people around me don't need to recover? It is so contagious. You well, know, they absolutely
0: less- need to recover. That's one of the things we've talked yep. about over and over again on the podcast is addiction doesn't just affect the person who's addicted. It's devastating for the people around them. you know. Absolutely. And they, And you've described it. I mean, it was devastating for your partner, devastating for your son. I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and now, uh, you know, my stepkids will come to me and say, Lisa, we just looked at this, you know, salad dressing or something that's got alcohol in it. You can't have it, you know, <laughs> like I've got them on my journey with me, which is just beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know, they'll they'll know when I'm going on to a meeting, so they'll say, are you doing a meeting tonight? You know, because they're on the journey with me as well yes. and it's really good for them to see,
0: yes.
1: especially when they've lost their mum
0: yep. in their
1: life. Yep. Um my partner hardly drinks anymore. You know, he might have a beer a month. You know, recovery is contagious. <laughs> um one of the biggest things for me um God love him is my son is was just last week 18 months of sobriety. So he doesn't drink either. Oh. He chose to support me on my journey and also um you know with me being an addict and the chances of it being genetic, um, because it can be, especially in the males, um, he didn't want the life that yeah. I've had. You know, he saw, saw me suffer and, yeah, so it's just I feel amazing. Mm-hmm. I love my life today. I love my life today. Is it easy? No, it's definitely right. not easy. I right. have days, I have moments, but I have a partner and a son and stepkids that tell me they love me and they mean it and they tell me how proud they are of me yep you know I would get a message at least once a week from my son saying mum I'm so proud of you Hmm. you know why why would I ever want to Hmm. one day at a time why would I want to go back there yeah you know yeah um I'm fully aware that you know, awareness, awareness and willingness are two huge words in my life now. Because I need to be aware of how I'm feeling and I need to be willing to change the way that I approach that now. Yep. You know, I had none of that before. I had yep. no awareness or willingness for anything. Um, I know now I can hold a job down. I know now I can safely walk into I still struggle with social environments. Mm-hmm. Um You know, we haven't been camping because this is an association. So there are things that I've had to change in my life to stay sober. You know what, I'll change whatever I have to on a daily basis to be able to stay where I am. My relationship with my partner's completely changed. (laughs) You know, we were worried about how how would our relationship survive if I wasn't drinking because it was something that we had in common so much. You go to a completely different level. Yeah, when you don't have substances involved, you know. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he's had to
0: put up with
1: a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: Lisa, you thank know. you for sharing your story with us. I mean, you know, it's uh, uh, it's a story that we've heard before, but not the same as we've heard before. And I appreciate you, as I said, telling me all this in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's, it's great to hear that you've come out the other side and, you know, it's a story like yours that I think gives our listeners hope that it, it, you can come through the other side. Absolutely. yep. Thank you so much. It definitely can. No
1: problem. Thank you for having me. Um, and I'm not nervous anymore. There you go. (laughs) Told (laughs) you. Now I'm going to go back to, now I'm going to go back to bed.
0: Good. Good idea. (laughs) Thank you for listening. I think that Lisa's interview is, it's a little bit long, but I think her story is amazing. And I think, I think it will resonate with someone. And that's the whole point of what we do. We'll be back again with another interview next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com